when we approach Jesus as the Son of the living God, who through His ultimate sacrifice was given the highest name and authority in heaven and earth, and we recognize Him as the King of kings, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. If we truly recognize Him as that, then we come humbly before Him. We come with a surrendered attitude. We come laying down everything. We come to serve the King. Then we are grateful and excited just to be called children of the Most High God and King because we realize this means we have an inheritance of His Kingdom. We have purpose. We have true identity. We know that there is a whole Kingdom to govern and we have a role to play in it. But the specific role that we play is not up to me. It has been predestined by the King Himself who knows me the best who knows exactly what He created me for. So why would I go against His plan? Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Awesome. Who's excited about the word today? Anyone? All right, good. Me too. I have, I have, I feel God has given me something to speak on. But I stand in front of you today very humbly, knowing that I, I still realize there's so much to this subject. And when I was praying now, and I said the word mystery, I realized that this is a mystery. This is not something we can, you know, hear one time, write it down, understand completely, and then move on to the next subject. I believe this is a powerful necessary mystery for us to constantly delve into and ask Holy Spirit to help us to fully comprehend and live out what this means. So for those who are joining us for the first time, we are in a series called Reign in Life. If you paid attention in class earlier, you would have noticed that that's our third big value we're here to encounter God, align with His purposes in order to reign in life. What does that mean? And we are, we are journeying with that. And our main scripture where this series, this idea comes from is Romans 5 verse 17, where it says, For if by one man's offense, he's referring to Adam, death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So, if you've never heard about the Bible and Christianity, this is, this is pretty much a great summary of the gospel. God created man. Man sinned by being disobedient that caused a division between God and man. And God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in the place of us. We had to actually pay the price, but He made it so that we didn't need to. His Son paid the price so that through Him we can reign in life. But it's very important to see in this verse, it says, who receives the abundance of grace, of the gift of righteousness. Jesus did this for all mankind. But each person needs to say, yes, I receive the gift, before the power of the gift is manifest in their lives. Amen? All right. So God has been speaking to me about a subject that... I've been reading up on it, I've been studying the Bible, I've been reading commentaries on it, and it, it really seems to be a mystery, because there's different 
opinions, different thoughts on these things. And it's about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. One, the, some of the gospels refer to the kingdom of God when Jesus speaks, and others refer to the kingdom of heaven. You'll see the book of Matthew. Jesus, every time he says the kingdom, he says the kingdom of heaven. And others, and others they talk about kingdom of God. And some, some, uh, commentaries, some commentators believe it's two different things. Some believe it's the same thing. I'm still figuring that out myself, to be honest with you. But from what I'm reading in the Bible, and when I compare the Gospels, to me it looks like it is referring to the same thing most of the time. Anyway, I was reminded of a book that I actually didn't realize how old it was until I went to do a little bit of research. Charles Dickens wrote a book called A Tale of Two Cities. Have anyone ever heard of that? It's a classic novel, play actually. Well, he's a playwright. This is one of his famous books. Would you believe me if I told you he wrote this in 1859? 1859. And there's a famous quote from this book that spoke to me as a young boy when I was, I think it was 1995, I was at a youth conference and Cassie Carstens was one of the speakers. And he started his sermon with this quote. I had no idea where the quote came from. For many years, I thought this is a Cassie Carstens quote. Later on, I learned it's Charles Dickens. One of the summaries of the book, A Tale of Two Cities, says that Dickens believes that, or he hopes that transformation and resurrection must be possible. He was writing about this in 1859. Listen to this quote that he wrote back then that I heard as a 16 or 17-year-old at a time when it seemed that the world was very much broken. How many of you would say it's a little bit more so right now? Amen. All right, so listen to this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. The tale of two cities. I believe similarly, the Bible explains to us that life is a tale of two kingdoms. Now, think of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. You get what I'm saying? All right. Now, to use a reference from an entirely different genre, anyone know the book, The Lord of the Rings? Those of us who are too lazy to read it, we watch the movie. <laughs> It all takes place in a place called Middle Earth, but it's very much divided in many kingdoms. But this, re this, this reference is only to say when, there's two when we talk about the two kingdoms in the Bible, there's no middle ground. There's no Middle Earth. You're either in the one or the other. There is the kingdom of this world ruled by these are names he's called in the Bible. The father of lies, not to be confused with one of God's names, the father of lights. Say it very carefully. He's also called the prince of the power of the air. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All of these are scriptural references to the devil, Satan, the enemy. And then there's God's kingdom. That's all about God's cosmic love, relationship with mankind, true freedom, eternity, eternal life, life in abundance, light, life, holiness, perfection, and power. That's what his kingdom is about. It was the best of times. It's the worst of times. 
I want to highlight the things I just said with a few key scriptures, and then I'm going to continue with this subject. Luke 4, verse 5 to 8. This is the famous incident where Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible says in all the Gospels, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was to be tempted. Anyone else ever felt like the Holy Spirit led you into a wilderness with temptation? This was Jesus' first thing that happened after baptism. And this is the second temptation that the devil brings before him. He says, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, Jesus, listen to this, people, all this authority, he is showing kingdoms, and he says, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I just realized I spoke incorrectly. This was the third temptation. Sorry, not the second. Matthew 12, from verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Complete healing. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? They knew that Jesus the Messiah, or they knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they were supportive. No. They said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then, this is Jesus speaking, how then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder the house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Do you see a middle ground here, anyone? This is Jesus speaking. Are we seeing a middle ground? Anyone? Okay. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. And you he made alive. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Listen to this. You once walked, before you became born again, saved Christians following Jesus, you used to walk according to the prince, royal statement, royal term, prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the, flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He's once again making it very clear there are two separate ways of living, two separate kingdoms. And he also doesn't talk about a middle ground. 
John 10 verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. One or the other. John 18 verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom. This is now just before he's crucified. He's standing before Pontius Pilate. My kingdom. So Jesus says, I have a kingdom. He says, it is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. Ephesians 1 verse 20. Which I worked in Christ when he raised, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's talking about what God did with Jesus. Jesus is lifted far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is our Jesus. This is our King. He has all authority over all things. The question is, do we read this and believe it? Or do we read this and go, that's nice. And just go on with our lives. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It doesn't say for we do not wrestle, period. There is a wrestle. There is a, there is a war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against the things we see, the people we see, the things we see happening. We don't wrestle against that. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the dark, darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Did you see the things that is named in Ephesians 6? Are all the things that Jesus are put over in Ephesians 1? Did you see that? Can you see that neither God's kingdom nor the enemy's kingdom is a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Both of them. But it's real. And it manifests in this realm. But if we don't know that there's two kingdoms raging in the heavenlies, we just think we're going to focus on facts and reality and circumstances and think that's life and make our decisions and take our actions accordingly. But if we know that everything that is happening around me in the physical starts in the spirit, I will approach it differently. And this is what I hope that we will all see today. Light and darkness. Both are kingdoms. We have seen from Scripture now, even Jesus refers to the devil's domain as a kingdom. And he acknowledges that what he has and what he has brought is a kingdom. Both are kingdoms. We've seen that there's no middle ground. You are either in the one or you are in the other one. Are we in agreement? It's not me that's saying that. It are the Bible. It are the Word of God. Two kingdoms, both have a leader. All right. What is a kingdom not? It is not a democracy. What did we all grow up in? Some, well, some of us grew up in something called a democracy, but... And now we also have a democracy, supposedly one of the best in the world. <laughs> a kingdom is not a democracy. 
And even when you are in the world, the devil's kingdom, and you think you are free because you can do what you want, you're actually in bondage to the evil one who is very happy with your ignorance and your delusion. He will either convince you that you're free when you're doing what you want, or he will convince you that there is no God, there is no devil, and there's no eternity. So there's no heaven or hell. So don't worry. Do what you want. If he can effectively convince you that he doesn't exist, that God doesn't exist, and that there's no consequences to your decisions in life, he has won, and you are in bondage. Even though you don't know it, because he is the father of lies. He lies the best. If you do believe there is a God, but you have never given your life to Christ, he's also not really concerned about you and will convince you there's no hurry. There's no hurry to get your spiritual life in order and to make important decisions. Just have fun. Just do life, you know. Yes, there's a God. That's cool. You can believe in Him. Even my demons believe in Him, and they tremble. That's Scripture. The enemy is also very happy if you think you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home, but you never actually became born again and never got water baptized and Holy Spirit baptized. Because if you just grew up in a Christian home, you are still in His kingdom. Now I'm offending someone. It's not me. It's the Bible. Growing up in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. It makes you a cultural Christian. You saw that one of our main missions in life is to shine a light on cultural Christianity. All right, get ready to be blinded. This is one of the most difficult lies to recognize and to snap out of. But when a kingdom's best characteristic is to lie convincingly, it is to be expected. He's also very happy if you're a cultural Christian because you are ineffective against his kingdom. You do not have access to the supernatural power and truth. You are not aware of your true identity and how Jesus can heal, cast out demons, and raise the dead through you. You don't know it. And you don't believe it's possible. You are powerless because you are not plugged into power. You are only plugged into culture. And if you serve it and don't understand the power of it, sorry, you are, you are only plugged into culture if you serve it and don't understand the power of it. You, you are only plugged into a culture. And culture is an idol connected to the kingdom of this world. People who fall under the scriptural definition of being part of the sons of disobedience. You heard that in the scripture I said earlier. The sons of disobedience are the minions of the kingdom of darkness. And they fall into different categories. For example, some know that they are following the devil and they're very open and very vocal about it. Some of them have sent me fan mail. Some, some are openly and proudly living in sin and giving themselves over to depravity and immoral behavior. And I've even seen um, interviews with well-known singers where they say they want to go to hell. They know they're going to hell and they want to go to hell. Some people know and they still want to go. But some consider themselves to be a good person. Because they think, I'm not that, the first category. Or they say, I'm a good person because I don't do certain things. So I'm a good person because I don't murder, I don't cheat, I don't lie, I don't steal. So I'm good. They are measuring themselves by what they don't do, not who they are. So for most people, good means not being bad by most people's standard. 
Then there are more specific personal versions of this or variants of this. The important point that I'm trying to make is from a biblical worldview is that we have to realize there are two kingdoms only. And you are either in the one or you are in the other. You can live a great model, moral life and be in the kingdom of darkness. Are you hearing me? All right. When Jesus started his ministry, straight fresh out of the wilderness, being tempted and overcoming the devil, his first words were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Shortly before his crucifixion, towards the end of his ministry, he said that his kingdom is not of this world. And in between, from the first moment he said repent, till the moment he was crucified, he told parables explaining the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what it is like, how it works. And every parable speaks about someone who was lost and then was found. The coin, the sheep, the treasure, not hiding something under a lamp, but sharing it. It's all about the kingdom. Jesus came to reveal his kingdom to us. We're going to delve into several aspects of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven over the next few Sundays. I think God is going to, we're going to park here for a while. But today, I, th- I believe God wants us to focus on five important things that we need to realize about how his kingdom works and what our role is in his kingdom. All right, so we've established now there's God's kingdom and there's the devil's kingdom. We've established that you are either in the one or you are in the other one. Now we're going to look at what does it mean when you are in the kingdom of God. And if, if you can understand these things and start applying it to your life, or just ask yourself the, the difficult question today, am I in the right kingdom? Then we are getting somewhere. <laughs> and listen, first of all, none of what I'm saying is here to condemn anybody. It is to wake you up. It is to shine a light. It is to bring conviction, not um, condemnation. Amen? All right. But firstly... Before we get into the five things, I want to contrast the difference between a kingdom and a democracy. Because we live in a modern age and in the secularized Western world where we supposedly are in a democratic nation, we may need to be reminded of the fact that Christianity, our faith, is based on a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we need to realize that a democratic government is very different from a kingdom. Why do I warn against this? Because if we assume that it is like a democracy or, or approach God as if he's a president of a democratic nation rather than the king of his kingdom, then we will not engage with our Lord in the right way. And we will come with expectations that are unrealistic and wrong. Would you agree with that? According to Britannica.com, a democracy is a system of government in which power, power is vested in the people and exercised by them directly or through freely elected representatives. According to National Geographic, a kingdom is a piece of land that is ruled by a king or a queen. A kingdom is often called a monarchy, which means that one person, usually inheriting their position by birth, is the leader or head of state. Okay? That's the difference according to worldly descriptions. So, when we approach Jesus, imagine this for a moment. Did you approach Jesus as if he is an elected official? We come with an attitude. We come with expectations. We come with service delivery demands. Would you agree? We think we have a say in how things are done in the kingdom. 
are we going to protest against Jesus and his kingdom if we don't get what we want? If the services that we demand are not given, are we going to toy toy? Are we going to dance outside with placards like it's a pothole that just doesn't get fixed? Do we think we can vote him out when we are not happy with his style of governance, with his decrees? And maybe we approach him with an attitude that want to tell him that the Great Commission and the Beatitudes and his other commands are really quite dated and not in line with culture. And some people find it highly offensive. Can you imagine approaching Jesus this way? Approaching Jesus as a leader of a democracy really causes many problems for us as true believers because he's not changing. He is not changing. His word is not changing. And the reality of his kingdom and how it works is not changing. So who do you think needs to change? Bingo. But when we approach Jesus as the son of of the living God, who through his ultimate sacrifice was given the highest name and authority in heaven and earth, and we recognize him as the king of kings, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. If we truly recognize him as that, then we come humbly before him. We come with a surrendered attitude. We come laying down everything. We come to serve the king. Then we are grateful and excited just to be called children of the most high God and king because we realize this means we have an inheritance of his kingdom. We have purpose. We have true identity. We know that there is a whole kingdom to govern, and we have a role to play in it. But the specific role that we play is not up to me. It has been predestined by the king himself who knows me the best and who knows exactly what he created me for. So why would I go against his plan? Here's the five things that I feel God laid on my heart that we need to really look at in earnest. The five things about the king's domain that we need to know. The first one is submission. Second one is possession. The third one is commission. Fourth is protection. And fifth is promise. I could not get everything to go ishin. So, <laughs> provision. So, the first one, submission. Firstly, we need to recognize that there is a kingdom of God. That's step one. Realize, recognize, there is a kingdom. We need to have a revelation through an encounter with God that the ruler of this kingdom created everything, which includes me. And out of love, because he loves me, the key to salvation is the revelation of how much he loves us. That's where our church's name comes from. When the key to salvation is the revelation of how much God loves us. When he, out of love, chose to send his son to die in our place so that we can be free. He created an opportunity for us to be reconciled with him through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And this gives us access to the kingdom if we receive it. We need to have a revelation that in order to have eternal life, I need to be a part of this kingdom. And in order to see and enter this kingdom, 
According to Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus, this is what he said. In order to see the kingdom and to enter the kingdom, you need to be born again. Born of water and born of the Spirit. That water is not water baptism. He's referring to the water from when a baby is born. That water is a physical water. And the Spirit, that is the new birth. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says that you cannot see or enter this kingdom if you don't do this. There, some people want us to believe that Jesus loves everybody and that means that everybody is saved. It is a lie. That is one of the, the enemy's most effective lies. There's a price to be paid to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the gift that Jesus has given us. He paid the ultimate price. And all that he asks is that you come and you lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow him. What is a cross? It's a thing to die on. Yes, he loves you and he will love you unto the moment you die. But his love gave the gift through which you can have eternal life with him. But you have to actually take the gift. We need to, uh, in order to see and enter the kingdom of God, we have to repent and we have to be born again. We have to then accept the lordship of the kingdom and this will manifest in our active obedience, our, our faith, our sense of belonging. And then we choose to love God back. We now know that he loves us and we want to follow him. And then we say, how can I love you back? And Jesus says in John 14, 15, and this comes in many other verses as well, the connection between loving him and obeying his commands is very strong in the Bible. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's a kingdom. That is the king speaking to his subjects. If you love me, if you are in this kingdom, if you are committed to this kingdom, you need to show it by being obedient submitting under the law of the king. All right, the second one, possession. When we do decide that we want to enter this kingdom and we receive the gift that the king has given us, we are now born again. The next step, under submission and out of our obedience, we need to get baptized with water, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and be part of a local church. That is the plan and the pattern of the Bible. That is why we did a whole series on these things. Now, now that I am born again, I can know that I am a citizen of this kingdom. We get to possess and occupy this land, this kingdom. It's our privilege now. When you possess and occupy, you can work and get a harvest. We receive the right, according to John 1, verse 12, I think, it says we've got the right to be called children of the king. By being born again, you become royalty. Boom. Your blood just went from red to blue. Get excited. The Bible literally says, when we are born again, we get the right to be called children of the king. Of the king. And this is a sensitive point, but I feel I need to make it. Some people say we are all children of God. I believe that is true to the extent that He created everyone, yes. But the Bible is very clear that the full inheritance of the kingdom of heaven is only for those who choose to follow Jesus. Otherwise, why choose Him in the first place if you just get everything for free and you can do what you want? then why did Jesus die in the first place? People don't think. They need to read the Bible and they need to be obedient to the Bible. Okay, I said my little rant. The kingdom becomes our inheritance and we are now called by the Bible, by God, joint heirs with the King, Jesus. How many of you would love to be a joint heir with an actual king with actual billions in the bank? Anyway, 
All right, so get excited about this because Jesus owns everything. We just read it in the Bible. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? A kingdom advances. A kingdom is passed on through the royal bloodline of a king if he is survived by his son, and his son will then become king. It's also important here for us to note how a father, us as fathers, need to impart the kingdom of God to our children. We just spoke for three weeks on the raising royalty. This is raising royalty, making our children, helping our children understand what the kingdom is and raising them as royalty. But here's the catch. In our kingdom, our king never dies. He doesn't die and pass it on. But the bloodline keeps increasing as people who come to Christ keep dying and become new in Jesus. Ha! That's huge, man. The Bible tells us that we are co-heirs of Jesus Christ, who is king and who owns everything and has all authority over all things. So if you are a co-heir, it means that you have access to all of this. Are you living your life that way? Are you getting up in the morning going, Woo, I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ who owns everything. This day will be amazing because I am ruling this day in Christ Jesus. Do you get up that way? Start tomorrow. The Bible also calls true believers friends of God. Jesus says in John 15, when he speaks about him being the vine and us the branches, he says, abide in me as I abide in you. And then he goes on to say, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends because servants don't know what the master is doing. When I am a friend of God, I get to know what his will is. I get to know where he is heading. I know what the king is up to. Because I'm in relationship and I can talk to him and I can ask him to show me these things. The Bible also calls us a royal priesthood. Royal. That's kingdom language. When you become born again, you step into the kingdom. You are now a royal priest for God. Are you acting like it? You are a holy nation, a chosen generation. That is who you are. Some of you need to get excited about it. Tell your face that this is amazing. But we need to choose to take hold of it. The third one. Commission. Because I'm submitted, it is about serving Jesus, laying my will down and saying, I will do your will. Even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said this to the Father, not my will be done, but your will. He kept saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what I hear the Father says. By doing that and dying on the cross, that is what gave Jesus the authority that he has. We need to follow his example. I'm submitted so that I can do what I'm called to do in the kingdom. In relationship with the king, I discover my true identity and my true king-given calling. My mission in serving at the pleasure of the king my role in advancing the kingdom. Jesus gave all of us, all the believers, the so-called great commission in Matthew 28 and in Mark 16. We see how Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, disciple them the way I discipled you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our great commission. We have a commission. But we will only do a commission if we are in submission. We need to share the gospel, reign in life over sin and death, and help others to do the same. That is what God gave us to do, all of us. If you don't know why you are here, that's why you are here. You are here to, to serve the king and build his kingdom. Amen? But within that broad calling that Jesus has given all of us as children of God, each and every one of us has a specific calling. 
that is there to serve the body of Christ. This comes from Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4, where it speaks about the fivefold ministry, and then it speaks about how every one of us has a role to play. And if you take all the scriptures that talk about how the kingdom is supposed to work, you realize that if each, every, for however many there are that of us that are not living our full God-given calling, the rest of the church, the rest of the body of Christ misses out. If you are not walking in the fullness of your purpose, the rest of us will miss out. That is why we ask you every week to make an offer to serve. Because if you don't, if you are just sitting here warming a chair, you're not living what God has called you to do. You need to step up and say, this is what God has laid on my heart. This is the gift I have. This is the spiritual gift I have. Or I can just, I can pack chairs. Or I can help pack up. Or whatever. Just come. Say, I'm, I'm here. I'm submitting to the mission that I have. The fourth one is protection. As we are submitted under Him, and we choose to follow and walk in the commission that we have, we can know that we know that we are protected by God. His domain is where we operate, and He is the ultimate protector of us. He will protect and guide and cover as we go on our missions in life. He has prepared us. He's given us the armor of God. He's covering the blood of Jesus. He's given us prayer. He's given us praise and worship. He's given us so many spiritual tools and weapons to use, but we can't use them if we don't know them. The other protection we have that we may not realize always is that if we know who we are and we know whose we are, we become untouchable. We become untouchable because I know who my God is and I know what He has called me to do. The Bible says, greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. Do I believe that? Do I walk like that? We are in this world, but we are not from this world. Because we are, and another way to say that is we are in this kingdom of the devil, but we are not from the kingdom of the devil. Because we submitted and accepted the commission, we are supernaturally protected as we go. Our spiritual passports show that we are citizens of heaven. That is where we are from and that is where we are going. But there is a mission in between and God will be with us. And finally on that point, the, the enemy, as soon as, you, as soon as you raise your hand, give your life to Christ, get baptized and walk in the fullness of what God has, the enemy from his kingdom side with all his demons will go, whoa, whoa who's this new guy? Suddenly, you've, you've grabbed their attention. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm not saying this to intimidate you. I'm saying this to you to know that as soon as you step out of this, the zone of being in the world and thinking you're okay or stepping out of cultural Christianity where you never felt like the devil was really a problem, you will now be on his radar if you give your life to Christ. This is part of the cost of getting into the kingdom. And it can be difficult, but if we are so close to God and so submerged in His Word and so aware of the weapons we have, then we can know that He will, he will make attempts, but He will not win. The Bible gives us a promise to stand on. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen? And we can stand on that. We also have Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a powerful verse that says, If we make God our dwelling place, in other words, if we live in Him, then He will protect our dwelling. He will protect our home from pestilence and from evil. Do we believe it? Do we stand on that word? The fifth and final one is promise. We have a promise of eternity with God. That is the prize that is before us when we submit and, and step into the commission that God has for us. The promise of glory with the Father. As children of God and citizens of heaven, we have an eternal destiny to look forward to. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not a place where we're going to one day only. It is now at hand as Jesus said, it is accessible now. 
We can live in it and from it and bring it wherever we go. Do you know that if you are a born-again believer and living with Jesus, that when you enter a place, the atmosphere has to change? Do you know that? Because you carry the kingdom. You carry the kingdom wherever you go. There was a time in my career as a, as a singer that I would feel intimidated by certain stages or certain meetings or certain whatever. And I would just start this thing where I would say to myself just before I go on stage, I am a son of the king. I am a son of the king. And every time I was filled with this amazing sense of security and power and authority that is completely supernatural. And I could walk into any room, walk onto any stage and be there confidently because I know whose I am. And that's available to all of us. And yes, Jesus promised to go to his Father in heaven and prepare a place for all who are his children. And we can look forward to that. There's glory in it. There's joy set before us. But there's a mission to complete before we get there. And I want to encourage you today, if you are a born-again believer, don't wish this time away. God has a plan with this time of yours on this earth. He has a certain amount of people that He wants you to reach with the good news of the gospel. He has a certain amount of people that He wants you to, to help, to, to pray for, to, to support, to, whose lives that you can change for His kingdom. I think the worst thing we can do as Christians is to go and sit in a corner and wait for Jesus to come back. That is not His plan. In fact, you will be disobedient if you do that. We need to know that we have a goal. I wanna, I'm reminded of a powerful verse, John 3, verse 13. It's, a, it's the moment right before Jesus washed His disciples' feet. It says this. It says, Now Jesus, knowing that the Father has given Him all things, that He came from God, and that He was going back to God, bent down and washed His disciples' feet. Just take a moment and think about that. When you realize that you've won the lotto and that you can now move into the house that you want, you get the car that you want, live where you want, is the first thing you're going to do bending down and washing someone's feet? Because Jesus knows who he is, whose he is, where he comes from, and where he is going, he serves and that is our example. Are you getting up every day thinking of how I can serve the king? How I can serve the people next to me? How I can shine a light in every dark corner of every moment that I may get into? Is that the way I get up in the morning? We're going to take a moment to reflect and respond and I, I need to ask everyone online, everyone listening to this later, everyone here, I need to ask us all a serious question. And the question is, in which kingdom are you? There's a tale of two kingdoms. There's no middle ground. In which kingdom are you? Do you know? Are you sure? If you were to die today or tomorrow, do you know with absolute certainty that you will just open your eyes in heaven where you already are? If you can't say that with certainty, that's okay. Here's an opportunity to receive the gift that Jesus has given. But it's a gift that has to be received. It's a gift that has to be stepped into. And it's a gift that has to be taken seriously. Because when you receive the gift that He has given, you are also saying, I will die 
for this king. I will lay down myself. I will lay down my will. I will lay down my sin. And I will say yes to the king. I come humbly. I come surrendered. I come to die for the sake of the kingdom of God. I will never try to sell you a cheap gospel just to get hands to go up. If I ever do that, please slap me. There is a cost. But there are also two kingdoms. And the other kingdom has a much greater cost. You just don't feel it right now. The cost is down the line and it's a terrible terrible cost that you will pay for the rest of eternity but if you choose to follow Christ if you choose to step into the kingdom of light you die right away and you become alive you become the true you the true you that God planned from before the beginning of everything according to Ephesians 1 and you can step into your true identity and say, how can I serve you, my King? How can I help you advance this kingdom? How can we make the other kingdom smaller and ours bigger? Reinhard Bonke always said that we need to plunder hell and populate heaven. I like that. Which kingdom are you in? Let's just, just all close our eyes and let's have an honest moment before God. We each of us go, am I in God's kingdom or am I perhaps in another kingdom? If you realize today that you may not be truly in God's kingdom, Would you, would you slip up your hand for me to show so we can pray together? Anyone here today? Anyone online, if that's you, please give us a hand. For those who are online or those who are listening later and those here that may be uncomfortable to raise their hands, I'm just going to lead us in this prayer and I want you to pray after me. Lord Jesus, Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, today I choose to make you king of my life. I lay down my will and I say, I will only do your will from this day forward. I die to the kingdom of this world and I come alive in your kingdom, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, Fill me, strengthen me, lead me, help me to do your will. Help me to be effective for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let us stand together. I want to end off with something similar to what I prayed now. I just feel strongly we need to all if, if you're up for it, make a commitment today before God and before each other. Let us just say boldly, yeah, let's uh, say this after me. I am a child of God. I am part of God's kingdom. I am submitted to His kingdom. I possess His kingdom. I accept the commission. And I receive the protection. And I thank God for the promise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. 
And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.